0: In your wanderings, you stumble upon a ruined temple buried deep within the heart of the forest. Weary, you continue on through thick overgrowth until you see a clearing that was once an ancient cathedral built by people, now rebuilt by nature itself. In the center is a preserved altar, stacked with various dice of all shapes and colors. As you contemplate what this means, a cloaked figure approaches from the shadows.
1: Welcome, brave adventurer. Have you come to roll the dice? Explore strange new worlds with new strange rules? If you seek adventure worthy of being shared with good friends, you have come to the right place. Just roll for initiative. Welcome to the Nat One Nerds Podcast. Hey, how's it going?
0: It's going pretty good.
1: I mean, I'd say so. I'm excited to be back for another podcast.
0: I know. We are officially starting our Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition segment.
1: Yeah, seems like just the other week we were starting this off. Now it's getting so big. I had like a whole five people listen to it. I don't know what the <laughs> metrics are.
0: <laughs> 14, last I checked.
1: And that's actually pretty good yeah. for no one having any idea who we are. Yeah. So, thanks guys. We appreciate you.
0: Absolutely. So... But first, before we get started, I'm going to roll to see how uh, intelligent I am this uh, session here. So All right. I I got a 12. That's a... possible. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, what it... didn't you roll something earlier?
1: Uh, yeah, I rolled a charisma check to see how entertaining we'd be, and I may or may not have gotten a one. So we'll see how that goes down. Hey, at least we're living up to our name, man. Oh, yeah. not one <laughs> nerds. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so Dungeons and the Dragons 5th edition yes where should we start with that
0: oh there there are so many places we can start with this i mean it's it's the staple it's the classic it's like the founding father of tabletop role playing games
1: i'm sure there are some hipsters that would argue with you there there's some system that existed before it but it's definitely been the most popular the one that's the most mainstream ironically because everyone always considers tabletop role playing games as not mainstream even though they definitely are becoming more so nowadays
0: well especially with covid
1: Yeah, (laughs) I feel like COVID actually helped with that. Between COVID and Stranger Things, Mm -hmm. Dungeons and Dragons has just exploded.
0: Absolutely. Well, I mean, Dungeons and Dragons was actually created in the 1970s. So.
1: I mean, that doesn't surprise me. My dad tells me about playing first edition Dungeons and Dragons with his friends in high school. Yeah. Definitely sounds like a much different system than the fifth edition I'm used to.
0: You know what we should do in the future is play an old edition. (laughs) <laughs> like Dungeons and Dragons. Like, do like 3.5 or something. I think Because people be still play
1: 3.5. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Usually people are parents' age, but you know.
0: I actually have a question for you then.
1: All right, let's hear it.
0: Your first experience with 5th edition.
1: I mean, you were there for it. So <laughs> <laughs> my first experience, like we talked about last time, was about three years ago. Parker asked me if I was interested in playing some Dungeons and Dragons, and I said, that sounds really nerdy and weird, but you know what? I'm bored and socially starved, so why not? So I showed up, and we figured out what the party layout was, and everyone was all damage dealers, so I was like, you know what? I'll make a frontline character, because you know, I was all about like balancing out the party, because I, I played video games my whole life. I never played a tabletop role-playing game before, so I was like, all right, let's make sure we have a good, solid party. So I built a paladin, which honestly has kind of become my mainstay. Most of my characters have been paladins because I'm just, it's a really fun class. It's pretty well balanced, good mix of spell casting, martial. Um,
0: and it's straightforward.
1: Yeah, it's, you, you walk up and slap stuff and then block everything else. I don't Paladins
0: even... are literally the smite button
1: of yeah. the game.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> you sit there and take damage until you're ready to deal your own and then you just dish it all out at once run out of juice and go back to sitting there blocking. Oh. But I don't even remember what that character's name was. Do you?
0: <sighs> it's honestly been quite a while. I remember you had a paladin. Um, I remember
1: it was an awesome paladin. Yes. Um, I do also remember that I had no idea how the game works. So I didn't know how modifiers worked. And this was before I found some nice apps that help facilitate that kind of stuff. So I was just doing straight rolls for everything. And I remember getting really frustrated about how everyone else was hitting everything and I was hitting nothing and my damage was so low and I had no idea why and no one explained it to me, but I figured it out. Mm-hmm. So it, it was a little bit of a rough first first experience, but I'd say overall, it was pretty fun. I mean, it kept me going three years later. I still play pretty regularly. No. What about you?
0: Well, um, kind of like I mentioned in the last episode, I had somebody I knew from church. I kind of knew him. Kind of not. I don't know how or why he messaged me, honestly. But he literally just was like, hey, you like Lord of the Rings stuff, right? And I was like, yeah. He's like, let's try Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, ah. and he's like, And he just kind of convinced me. He's like, well, I guess I can fall down another rabbit hole potentially, which I totally did. <laughs> and um, I'm still falling and I'm still exploring, but... But yeah, it was just really fun. He just helped me build my first character. He was a human ranger.
1: Nice. Yeah. Going for Aragorn there?
0: Um, no, he didn't not quite Aragorn. He I did come up with an interesting backstory for him though. He was studying to become a scholar, but he was kidnapped by evil elves called Drow and taken below the surface where he, he was enslaved for like three years and learned skills the hard way and escaped and had a lot of trauma with that. And kind of like I mentioned, he had PTSD and
1: wanted to murder all the drows. Be-
0: essentially became <laughs> racist against Drow, which honestly in
1: that world, it's pretty normal. Yeah. Like, uh, like you shouldn't hate people, but <laughs> sometimes it, they, they don't make it easy to love no,
0: them. they don't. So it's, anyway let's move on from that but um
1: so in general though what what drew you to tabletop role-playing games
0: honestly i just gave it a shot it was he said it was like lord of the rings in a way like in his fantasy and i was like you know, he was like it was a story you are creating in the moment like you are it is just pure improv and you just go with it And it just was so fun. It was such an, I quickly realized within the first session or two or the first couple times we got together to play that it was an amazing creative outlet for me.
1: Yeah. It always has kind of reminded me of being a kid and whacking my siblings with sticks, pretending to be knights and dragons and stuff, but in an organized tabletop manner. It's pretty fun. Mm -hmm. Actually in my studying, I'm, Going for a psychology degree right now, I did a little bit of a project on the benefits of tabletop role playing games. There's actually some really cool stuff. Like, for example, they've actually shown that tabletop role playing games can help people with both learning disabilities and social disabilities be able to branch out more and help with things such as math skills, social interactions, um, just being more comfortable with improving, things like that. Like, there's so many cool things. That you can learn from Dungeons and Dragons. Not to mention the fact that it's a great way to make friends.
0: Yeah. No. And that was the other thing too that really drew me. Was that not only was it an amazing creative outlet. And a a wonderful form of escapism. I just made solid friends. Mm -hmm. I mean I still. After all these years. I still play with the guy that introduced me to Dungeons and Dragons. And tabletop RPG in general. I value that so much. It's just so fun. We get along so well. I've gotten to know his kids, I got to know his wife. Like it's just it's just a fun time.
1: Oh yeah. Um, and as you can tell I still play with the guy who introduced me cuz he's right here with me doing a podcast. But a lot what? of my playing right now is with family. <laughs> I taught my wife's family how to play, which was a bit of a scary experience because they're all very how should I say it traditional when it comes to what kind of content they expose their kids to. Mm -hmm. So the parents were not very sold at first of a game where they run around and murder stuff, which is how they viewed it, even though there's a lot more social interaction in it than just combat. There is a lot of combat though. in Dungeons. Oh yeah. (laughs) But ironically now my wife and all of her siblings play Dungeons and Dragons pretty regularly. I think three of her four siblings have tried DMing their own campaigns and are off doing their own adventures now. So I'd say it was a pretty good success. And as Mm -hmm. I said last time, I'm currently running one with my father, my wife, and my cousin. And it's always a fun adventure. I like, I think another thing I love about tabletop role-playing games is just how inclusive it can be. Like literally anyone can play and you can play your character however you want and still have fun. Mm -hmm. Like, I ran a smaller campaign when I was up in Idaho for college with my wife, with her sister, a few cousins, and a roommate. And we had a wild magic sorcerer who role-played like a bard, but fought like a barbarian. So there's this sorcerer who's sitting there trying to be like the jack-of-all-trades jokester who likes to hit stuff with a club instead of using her magic. It was definitely interesting, and it, it kind of worked. Granted, admit my wife had to do all the damage in the party, but you know what? They had fun, and that's what really matters.
0: Absolutely. So one thing I've noticed, though, when, when I personally try to invite people to play tabletop role-playing games, especially when I say Dungeons & Dragons, their first response is always, I don't have time for that. Yeah. I view it as a regularly scheduled game night where we just keep playing the same game over and over because it's that freaking fun.
1: I mean, honestly, so many people are willing to go have game nights with their friends on a regular basis. Like, you go hang out with your friends, you go to a bar, you go have a game night with your friends. Why not have a organized scheduled game night that you do regularly that is just a continuation of the same game? It's not really that different.
0: Not terribly, no. Because ultimately, and it's not just Dungeons & Dragons, this is for most tabletop RPGs, role-playing games, is that you're, you're there to tell an epic fun story with your friends and you never know what's coming next you never know what our characters are going to do as you play your characters they take on a life of their own and it's just so fun to see that evolution and that creativity just flow the amount of inside jokes is unreal (laughs) when you when you have a solid group but once you find that solid group it is totally worth the commitment now obviously life happens that's that's a fact yeah but if you're truly dedicated to a group and you do it, you get so much out of it, which is kind of why I'm interested in bringing potentially, I have, you know, I need to ask him first, but my original dungeon master to come on and do like a psych episode.
1: That'd be so much fun. Where we
0: t- where we go further <laughs> into depth with it. And obviously you two will take over and I'll, I'll just be the guy that asks questions because I'm not a psychology major. <laughs> I took a couple classes, but you know. <laughs> you know, but, um, I think it'd be really interesting. So, but it, it is worth the commitment. Like I even introduced this to my sister and she still decided that she didn't want to commit to a long-term story, but the beautiful thing about Dungeons and Dragons, and I'm sure for a lot of other systems is that you can do what's called a one-shot where it's, it's a one night, you know, two to three hour mini story, little mini adventure. You just do it in one sitting, and then you're done. It's not a story that has to continue. It's not left on a cliffhanger. It's it's just very simple.
1: Yeah, and that way you can just play whenever you want, do whatever you want. I've heard stories of people who do a combination of the two where they run like, say, you're a mercenary guild or something and each one shot is just like a mission you guys are taking on or some sort of challenge mm-hmm. that presented. And that way there's not a continuing story you have to worry about. You don't have to worry about meeting regularly. You just... Get together when you want to have some fun. Play through whatever that engagement is and you're set.
0: Yeah. So there there are a lot of options. So if for whatever reason you still feel like you can't commit. But this still intrigues you. Go find some people to do a one shot with. That friend. I'm sure most people honestly. They they have a friend somewhere in their friend group that plays Hunts and Dragons. Or, and or worst, some other tabletop RPG system. Like yeah, they may play Fate. and worse comes to
1: worse. You, especially with the age of COVID, there's always groups online. You can look pretty much anywhere on social media, forums, anything, and you will find hordes of people looking for someone to play with. So there's always someone you can find.
0: If you want to play, they will come.
1: (laughs) We will flock. (laughs) Oh, yeah. We
0: will be eager to bring you in.
1: (laughs) But I promise it's not a cult, unless you actually do join a cult. And then in that case, no judgment. Do what you want. Yeah, I mean, not, definitely not <laughs> plugging for Cthulhu here or anything.
0: That that is one system called Cthulhu. We'll definitely, <laughs> I'm sure, get to that. That'll love love crafty and a uh, tabletop RPG man. That I, one
1: has amazing role playing aspects in it. Yeah, oh my I'm looking
0: forward to that. Um, but speaking of aspects, I think one thing I want to bring up is that Dungeons and Dragons. There is a lot of role playing in it, but it is probably more on the combat side. So many roles, things you do. It's it's about having an adventure and, and defeating the villain. And the most classic way to do that is to go fight the villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, fight the bandits, fight the werewolves, fight the this, fight this.
1: It's your classic hero's adventure. You got to yeah. fight your way through a pile of bodies to get to the main villain. Fight them to get whatever you're trying to save, rescue, achieve, whatever. And mm-hmm. that's it. Yep. So for someone who's looking to get into Dungeons and Dragons, what kind of stuff would you normally need? Like, do you just show up to a table? Do you need to get anything? How flexible is it?
0: You know, one thing I've noticed when people, some people will be like, hey, I want to try Dungeons and Dragons or it's been a long time and I want to get back into it. Something like that. And they'll try to find a group. And a lot of times you can find groups. It's just a matter of what you're willing to do. So like, if you're wanting something very local, You might have a harder time because you're making your chances of finding people a lot smaller because you're Mm -hmm. choosing from a more centered geographical location. Now, if you're willing to do online stuff, which has its pros and cons, um, then you'll definitely find people. But if you're wanting in-person, local, to make it as easy to meet up as possible, don't have to worry about time zones or anything like that, you might have a hard time. And some people have had a hard time because of scheduling conflicts. But one thing people have always said is like, hey, Dungeons and Dragons and a lot of other systems are about having fun. So why don't you just start your own group with yeah. a bunch of new people? Like people have there have been so many people that do that. And in thinking about that, Dungeons and Dragons is owned by Wizards of the Coast. They own the the game. They make all the additions, all the materials you need for it. But they have come out with with two kits that people could potentially start with um and i came across this at first there's one called the starter kit pretty self-explanatory it comes with a little pre-made adventure a short one it comes with even simpler version of the player's handbook of the basic rules it really gets into just this is what you ass- absolutely essentially need to know and everything else can be figured out or come on on spot or something like that and it comes with pre-made character sheets, so you don't have to worry about that. So if you want to be a wizard, here, here's a typical wizard sheet. Here's a typical cleric sheet. Here's a typical ranger sheet. Um, depending on what kind of uh, character you want, you know, if you want a more Aragorn, Théâmir type character, you go with the ranger. If you want to go, I don't know, more Peter or Edmund from Narnia, you
1: go with the paladin. Or whatever. If you don't want to think too much and just want to hit stuff, go with a fighter.
0: Or a barbarian.
1: Yeah, that's true.
0: Yeah. but So that one is <sighs> a great system if you really want as little stress as possible getting into it and just focus on playing. And if you don't mind kind of pre-made characters. Now, you can still make up a backstory for them if you want to give those characters more flavor for your role-playing. Because the better your backstory, the easier it is to role-play that character. Mm -hmm. but on the flip side that backstory also doesn't need to be complex it can be simple but if you have as long as you have one it's easier to roleplay and get into that
1: also let me just save you some trouble it is allowed for your character to have living parents i know it's a trope everyone always has the dead parents as a motivation to go on an adventure but your parents can live and still love you it's okay guys
0: yeah, you can be like Hercules from Disney. Like, your adoptive parents is like, go on an adventure. Find exactly. yourself. Yeah.
1: You know. And then go defeat the god of death. <laughs> <laughs> it escalated there, for sure. But yeah, when it comes to getting into Dungeons & Dragons, I would say, bare minimum, at least try to read through the player's handbook first, because it explains the systems pretty easily, gives a lot of really good plain explanations just how the game runs in general. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, I'm always an advocate for getting yourself a set of dice. Granted, there are billions of dice apps on, that you can put on your phone that are free. You can always borrow your DM's dice because I can guarantee he'll have at least 20 sets. There's I have so many options, But I don't even know how many sets I have. <laughs> I, I, I may or may not have a hoarding addiction. My, my wife thinks I'm a dice goblin. So. so, But yeah, adventurous handbook and a set of dice is all you really need. And one thing that I love that's made it so much easier for me is there's so many apps too that you can run your character through that facilitate making it so much easier. It will automatically like have all your stats in one place. You can press one button and it'll roll your attack for you with all your modifiers added. It lists all your spells with links to what they do. Like There's so many useful apps that can make the game a lot easier for someone that's new too.
0: Yeah, so if, if you're going to opt for a non-kit, um that i was mentioning earlier if, if you don't choose a starter kit or the essential kit which is similar but it gives you more flexibility to figure stuff out and be more creative like it doesn't come with pre-made characters it comes with a bit more rules it comes with a bigger adventure type thing but it's still beginner friendly but if you don't want to go the if you don't want to go the kit option and just want to go head first and just dive in then yes absolutely the player's handbook is essential. Make sure it's 5th edition. Yeah. Because that's what we're talking about, is 5th edition. <laughs> if you're playing a different edition, that's different. But for this purpose, get the Player's Handbook 5th edition. That, that book... And honestly, as fun as the dice apps are, I totally agree. Having your own set of dice just makes it more fun for some weird reason. I don't know. Maybe we'll... Keep, I don't know. Do you have an answer psycholog- psychologically why that
1: is? Um, It's actually very similar to the um, slot machines at casinos and stuff, it has a very similar effect on your brain to roll the dice and have the anticipation of what's it going to be right there in front of you. Mm. So it actually does have a slight little dopamine hit when you roll a good number.
0: It's probably why most D&D players hoard dice.
1: Exactly. It's Honestly. for my crippling dopamine d- depression that I have, I don't have any at all.
0: <laughs> so player's handbook um again if you're not going the kit route if you go the kit route then it the kit sets you up pretty well whether the starter kit or if you want to be more brave the essential kit but player's handbook your own set of dice like each person have their own set of dice because it sucks sharing dice it's like the worst thing on earth it's yeah. doable but it's not as much it's fun. doable but it's so less fun <laughs> um and then i would say kind of what you were mentioning you obviously you need a character sheet player's handbook comes with a character sheet, or you can print one off of line. Wizards of the coast has them for free on their website. Um, you can just Google wizards of the coast, you know, character sheet, fifth edition, or you can even just put five E and it'll pop up. Um, as Brandon was saying, there are apps out there, and we can probably we can put notes in in the show notes. A yeah, couple, a couple suggestions. A couple suggestions you can search for on like Google Play or or, or the App Store or whatever. Because there's there's a couple uh, really popular one people really love to use is D and D Beyond, which was a third party site, and then it Wizards... just
1: recently got bought out by Wizards. Yeah, that's actually personally my favorite. I love D and D Beyond. But mainly that's because, I say this with a grain of salt, it's a great website and a great app once you learn how to use it, but it's very heavily monetized because they go off of what digital content you have. So say there's a certain class or subclass or spell or something that's in a specific source book, you you will not have access to that on D&D Beyond unless you have purchased that. But because I'm a dungeon master and I have hoarding issues... I have enough source books that I have pretty much everything on my account that I would need. So ironically, I have like five different people that have access to my account because they use it for their own <laughs> campaigns. So if, if you're willing to actually buy the source material and have it in a digital format, D&D Beyond, I, I think is honestly unbeatable. But it also requires that pay gate of you have to buy the content.
0: So it's really funny. I, I must be in the minority. I'm actually not a fan of D&D Beyond. That's okay. Because the thing with D and D Beyond, and I'm and I'm sure this might change too now that the ownership has changed. I try doing everything from my mobile device, from my phone, and it it's great when you have a laptop there with you, but I don't like carrying my laptop to game sessions um
1: oh yeah when i play with D beyond i use just my phone but i would never dm from it dming i i need my laptop
0: Well, not even playing from it like i i tried using it on my mobile device and somehow some way i don't know how but it changed my google passwords <laughs> i almost lost a lot of material from that so it just i guess i have ptsd from it and i'm just like That sounds no. more like
1: a weird fluke than the actual website
0: i it, it was the app man i was doing what it told me to do So if I recommend if you use D&D Beyond, I think it works on mobile device if you're just doing quick references or you have your character sheet up and doing simple rolls. But if you're going to get into it, then you're going to you're going to probably want the laptop because I feel like it works better that way. But I'm scarred. Um, (laughs) But there's there's another app I personally use.
1: He's a technologically challenged old man. He's got a good two years on me.
0: I do, don't I? <laughs> yep, I'm challenged. <laughs> but, so um, what are
1: some of the apps that you like?
0: So the app that I personally use is called 5th Edition Character Sheet. and Pretty plain and the, mean, straightforward. Yeah, and the icon is a green 20-sided dice. That is upside down. It shows the 14 upside down. But it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. Granted, I started using it after I had been using a character sheet and actually kind of figured some stuff out. So these supplements we're recommending right now may not be... I think, honestly, the best way is your very first session or two. As cliche as it might sound, I honestly think the classic paper and pen character sheet that's provided in the handbook and on the Wizards of the Coast website is the way to go. Because if you're actually filling it out, you're going to learn a lot more than if you try to use a, use an app. Cause I know for me, there's some aspects that I probably should know off the top of my head, but because I use the app, I've allowed it to just figure it out for me. And I've forgotten how, how to do that from it? paper and pen. <laughs> like I was helping a friend build a character and I was like, Oh shoot, I got to double check <laughs> this. Cause I'm, I wasn't a hundred percent sure. And I had to double check and I had to look it up. I think your first time, you know as slow and as weird and as intimidating as it might look because there's a lot on that sheet do the character sheet
1: see ironically my first time playing i was scarred by the paper sheet because i tried the paper sheet and i had absolutely no idea what was going on i didn't know what numbers to add to where where were my spells listed how do i do this and so to each their own
0: (laughs) well maybe i should modify my recommendation do the paper and pen sheet and do the whole thing with your Dungeon Master.
1: Yes, it helps if you have someone explain it to you.
0: Yes, because if you do it with them, because your first session, honestly, most players, if you have a decent group, they're going to be patient with you and they're going to help you through it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the because the best way to learn ultimately is to just jump in. You kind of have to, it's kind of like learning a language. You can prepare, you can learn a lot of vocab, you can learn a lot of stuff. You can even start to speak it. But you're never going to be fluent, and you're never going to really learn a lot as you would if you just went to the country of origin. Like if you're yeah. learning German, just throw yourself you in just Germany, jump in and speak it. I, granted, I can't afford to go to Germany right now, so I won't learn German. But
1: heck, I can't even afford to go to the gas station right now. But that's Ooh, life.
0: Burn. <laughs> so burning petroleum.
1: <laughs> wow, I'm the one who's supposed to have the dad jokes, but I guess I did roll a one on my charisma, so I got to pass it off to you.
0: Well, I know. Someday for us, it'll be the mom jokes. Oh, yeah. So
1: So now that we have the materials for getting started playing. Actually, I will recommend one other thing. Okay.
0: So if the character sheet will have places to write things down at. But if you really want to get into the story and, like, make your dungeon master feel appreciated, bring a notepad. Or Ah. some kind of diet and, like, write notes. They they can just be little bullet points. But, like, it'll help you. It'll help you roleplay. It'll help
1: your character grow more. It, it'll just make it more immersive. If you or do if you're lazy, give your character a low intelligence score and just say you forget everything. I'm not going to remind you. <laughs> if you forget, that's
0: your own problem.
1: <laughs> I mean, it is what it is. There's usually at least one note taker at the table. Usually. I'm just usually not the note taker. That's one of my flaws. Sorry, guys. Not yeah. sorry. So So now that we have that out of the way, what do we really need to get a section going? What are all the elements that make for playing D&D? We've emphasized that we need our characters. I think one of the most important things, you have to have someone there as your dungeon master. Mm -hmm. Dungeon master, game master, there's a bunch of different terms, but basically the person who facilitates the whole play. So as for what the dungeon master actually does, basically, they're usually the one who comes up with the story you're going to be running. Whether it's a pre-written one that they're just running for you, one that they homebrewed or made themselves, they usually have some general semblance of an outline of a story for the players to destroy. So the DM will bring that. They typically will roleplay all the other characters that the players interact with outside of their own characters. They'll roleplay the enemies, the monsters, the environment. They basically are the ones weaving the story around the players.
0: Having a good villain voice is a huge plus.
1: Having a terrible villain voice is also a huge plus if you want to have it be a funny session.
0: Yeah, I I usually go for that second option personally. (laughs) (laughs) Because as we established, I am not a good voice
1: actor. I have genuinely considered taking voice acting lessons a few times just to up my DMing. Because I think it would be so much fun. Because I can can improv decently, (laughs) but my voices are terrible. So everyone just ends up having my voice. Occasionally, I'll try an accent, but it usually fades after like two interactions with the NPC.
0: So that's the other thing too: is that if you happen to watch like Dungeons and Dragons streams on YouTube or podcast, a lot of these guys, some of them are like voice actors. Like the most popular one is Critical Role; they're professional voice actors, and you see what they do. Just accept that you're not going to be Matt Mercer, yeah, ever. You're not going to you're not going to be Jeff Canada, like. Because these guys, I don't know how they do it. Not only do they have amazing voice ability, but they have like a photographic memory on top of it. And the players will be like, hey, I want to talk to this NPC or this non-playable character that the dungeon master or game master controls. I want to talk to this random person that we haven't talked to in like 15 sessions. And they will pull up the voice just like that.
1: And not only will they pull up the voice, they'll pull up, they still remember the whole character's background. They remember the last thing they said to you. Yeah. And there's if- no
0: preparation because they, the, they did it on a whim because as a dungeon master, and we'll get into this in, a, in another episode, but if you're going to be the dungeon master or the game master, your players are going to do the weirdest stuff and there's only so much planning you can do before you just have to accept that half of it is always going to be improv on the spot stuff
1: that's why i emphasize that the dungeon master's job is to bring a story for the players to destroy
0: yeah technically we probably should say for the players to create with him but that works yeah. too <laughs> Because that's probably more true. There's a
1: lot of different ways to run a campaign. There are sometimes, like I said, there are pre-written adventures or modules you can run through. You can run through your own homemade ones. Some people do what they call a sandbox adventure where basically all they do is the DM just reacts to the players and builds a story around them as they go. Mm -hmm. And that takes some amazing improv skills. But it completely depends on what the players want to do and it can go off the rails very quickly. So it kind of just depends on what you're in the mood for what the players are in the mood for and that's why i always advise before you start a dungeons and dragons campaign is do a session zero yes which is basically where everyone gets together you're not playing yet and you just kind of discuss expectations what do people want from the campaign what do they want to play do they want more combat more role playing what for example if there are any triggers any of the players have that the GM needs to avoid what kind of things are and aren't allowed if you want to set ground rules there's a lot of things that it helps to discuss before you actually play the game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I can't agree with that any more than I can. 100%. Let's talk about another favorite subject of ours. Let's talk about some dice. Ah, which yes. we rolled earlier. And Brandon did a beautiful... The shiny math rocks. The shiny math rocks, yes. Because there are... Let's see, there are... Well, I should probably know the number of these. Seven dice. There are seven dice, yes. Yes. I can't mental math, man.
1: How do you forget that?
0: I can't mental math.
1: I guess that's fair. I
0: can do math. I just can't mental math. <laughs> so, Unless I'm doing it literally over and over again. But we'll, we'll probably discuss why I don't always think of every single dice. Because there are some dice that are used way more often. And then there are some that are almost forgotten about.
1: This is true. Now, a quick way to remember what the dice are is there's a slang term where you say the letter D followed by a number. And typically that number is how many sides the dice have. So, for example, a D6 would be a normal six-sided die that you use for pretty much every other game on the planet. And that's going to be your standard six-sided die. A D4 has four sides. D8 has eight sides. Uh, It goes all the way up to 10, 12... 20 and they also have what's called a percentile die which i've seen some that have 100 sides and they're basically just a ball and i've seen other ones where it just goes by tens and you use it in conjunction with the d10 to make a percentage yep,
0: yep. so I, the most common one another thing too to remember another uh, thing about the slang is that it, it'll be d this and d this so it's signifying what kind of dice you're using but sometimes there'll be a number in front of that d so if i say 2d6 I'm telling you to roll two two, six-sided dice dice. or 3d8. I roll three eight-sided dice, you know. Or if you're a rogue and do sneak attack at a high level, then you roll 10d6.
1: At that point, you just throw a bag of d6s at your DM. Yeah. Although I love it when I roll that many dice and all (laughs) the players are just cringing like, oh my gosh. But, oh, that's one of my favorite tricks as a DM is if your players are ever getting unruly, just start rolling random dice behind your screen until they be quiet. It they works every time. They know
0: you're doing stuff, but they don't know what's going to happen because you're determining things by chance because that's the fun aspect of a lot of role-playing games is that they have these dice and it helps determine what happens. It kind of It's almost like um, it, it, the dice essentially put coincidence into the game for the role-playing. Oh, yeah. um, I, there's probably a better way to explain that, but that's what I'm coming up with. But let's talk about the most commonly used dice out of the set, the d20.
1: Ah, uh, yes. The if one that you'll either love or hate the most.
0: Your dungeon master will tell you to roll this dice the most often.
1: Honestly, other than in combat, I can't think of any other times when you would use the other dice. Because most of them are just used for determining damage. Or healing. Or healing, yeah. So. But that's only if your cleric doesn't hate you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's true. And we'll we'll talk about the different races, classes, and other stuff in upcoming episodes here. So like our next episode will be on
1: character uh, creation. F- yeah, plans. character
0: creation and what the player themselves should be most aware about when playing Dungeons and Dragons, especially when it's their first few times at level 1. Um and we'll explain levels too cuz your character can level up and get more skills and more abilities. But the D20, let's go back to the D20. So the D20 will be used to determine the likelihood of an outcome the most often. So for Mm -hmm. instance, your character sheet will have a bunch of stuff listed. So you have different stats. And again, we'll go over those in the next episode in more detail. Um, But let's say one of those stats is intelligence. And under intelligence is a bunch of skills. And how good you are in those skills is determined by your intelligence stat number. And your proficiency number, which at level two is plus two. You add plus two to the roll. But again, we'll go into more detail in the next episode. But for simplicity's sake, let's say I ask you to roll. and If your character is looking for something specific or they're trying to find something in manuscripts or something like that, or they're trying to solve something, the DM or the dungeon master will say, roll me an investigation check. You're going to pull out your d20. You're going to roll it. And based off that investigation modifier, which is determined by your general intelligence modifier or number and your proficiency number, plus two. So if I roll, I roll a seven and then I have a proficiency bonus, seven, eight, nine. And then depending on my intelligence, it could be, say, my character is smart. They're gonna get another plus two, so really it's seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So I got I got an eleven total. So it's unless not,
1: you're a meathead, you could have a minus two for all you know. You
0: could have a minus two, yeah. So whatever number you roll in the d twenty isn't the number you stick with. You have to add those modifiers on. But so the lower you are, the less likely you're going to be able to accomplish what you're looking for. So in this case, if I'm pouring over manuscripts and technical writing trying to find something. As a Dungeon Master, the chances of me saying you're not quite finding it, it's lost in this jumble of words, or these symbols are just so exotic and new to you that you're not quite picking up what you're trying to find, or you have a really rough idea, but you can't count on it, or something like that. So it determines, and honestly, the Dungeon Master, the dungeon master has a lot of power. But that's just the nature of the game um, in order for it to work. And that's why it's important to have a good group. But good. If, you, if you have a good group, then you shouldn't worry too much.
1: Again, that's something that has a lot of leeway in it. There are some dungeon masters that are very rigid and they have set checks for everything that do not budge. And that's okay. And there are other dungeon masters where it'll change depending on their mood. They might need you to roll a 23 to get that history check to remember where you left your weapon yeah or they could be feeling nice and give it to you on a nine yeah. who knows
0: yeah or they may just not have you roll for it and just say yeah it. that's pretty simple to do like your character definitely would know how to do that you just do it
1: yeah honestly i don't see the point of rolling in a lot of circumstances when it's something where there's going to be an outcome either way that like eventually they're going to find what they're looking for then i'm not going to make them roll for it
0: yeah no for sure so if that's just an example. So your D20 helps you determine how well your character is trying to perform a skill or trying to perform a specific activity. It just determines how if they succeed or not and if they succeed, how well they succeed and if they fail, how epically they fail. So at the beginning of this podcast, Brandon rolled a one on his <laughs> charisma, which if he were a D&D character, he would be the most uncharismatic person in the whole town in that moment because he did so horribly he did like the mm-hmm. worst thing his character, like he sneezed and like snot flew out or something like shot
1: a snot racket at yeah to it's convince. it's just
0: an epic fail and that's not a hard fast rule in D D, but that is such a common what's called a homebrew rule kind of like when you like house
1: rule It's a pretty common one some people use is if you roll a one, you fail no matter what you're doing. And if you roll a 20, you succeed no matter what you're doing. But a lot of people play with it more vanilla where the number itself is what matters. But the odds of rolling a one or a 20 are so slim that it's kind of fun to just goof around with it.
0: Yeah, and it's fun to have high
1: reward and high risk, you know. yeah,
0: Kind of like what you're mentioning earlier, that that anticipation. Mm -hmm. Because what's funny is that even when you roll a one and epically fail and your character suffers some horrible consequence it's a great story either way. It's, it's fun. Like, you know,
1: for example, uh, two days ago, I was playing in the campaign with my family and my cousin, who's playing a rogue, went to go dash at a bugbear with his rapier. And he rolled a nat one and his character tripped and fell on his own rapier and ended up impaling himself. Granted, he he didn't die from that. He's okay. I promise. But he, he had a lot of fun with role playing that like, Oh shoot moment because he was trying to run uphill. Yeah. That's what happens.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah, that, so the D20, so not only, the, the D20 is, if there's a dice that helps, to, it's almost like another player, it's the D20. Like it, it again, it helps that, the, it helps that element of chance, element of coincidence, element of luck, however you want to describe it. That, because even when you're an expert at something, you can still epically fail at it. Oh Like yeah. you can, you know, if you're a world-class violinist, you still has that 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 chance. Your of, bow
1: could break mid performance, or you could or your string miss snaps. Yeah. yeah,
0: it it happens. It, it it's just part of life, and it kind of makes the game. As far as a magical fantasy setting, it makes it a little more immersive and it's yeah. fun. But the other dice, as Brandon said, they're mostly used for combat and for healing. They basically
1: facilitate what the D D20 twenty says. D twenty is the boss. The rest of the bi- The rest of the dice follow its advice.
0: Yeah. And honestly, they're not too hard to pick up. Like, I would say the D6 is probably... If I had to say the next one you use the most often, it's probably a D6. You know, that classic six-sided dice. Um, But there's another thing, too. Again, with the D20, there's something called a saving throw as well. We'll get into that next episode, too. The example is if your character eats a poisoned thing or gets poisoned, the DM might say, roll a constitution saving throw. And it's not necessarily... um, Saving throws aren't skills, your character's not constantly choosing him. You're you're caught in a moment where your either your body or your mind have to make a decision then and there. Like, yeah, how well am I going to handle this poison? Like how is it gonna affect me? Like if I roll high, the character might be able to shrug off the poison or at least shrug it off well enough to continue fighting or to continue doing whatever until he can rest. Yeah. Or he might collapse in and there and just be like wrenching in pain or whatever. It just depends.
1: So we've been talking a lot about, like, charisma, intelligence, uh, constitution, stuff like that. Let's go over these stats real quick just to show what they really are.
0: No, absolutely. Yeah, we've we've been bringing them up enough, so.
1: In Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, there are six stats that pretty much everything's based off of. Mm -hmm. There is strength, dexterity, constitution, intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. So, starting from the top, strength is pretty self-explanatory. It's how strong your character is. The higher your strength score, the um, stronger your character is. The better he's going to be at acrobatic stuff, athletics, lifting things, carry weight, how hard you hit stuff. Strength is the ungabunga stat, where you smack stuff. Yeah. Um, next one would be dexterity, which the best way I can describe that would just be how nimble you are. It's like you're... Your flexibility, speed, how well you get around stuff. And that'll be things like your stealth, your sleight of hand to pickpocket someone, um, just little things like that. Yeah. After that comes Constitution. That's kind of like your toughness. That's how beefy your character is, how strong of. I guess Constitution's a really good word for it. Uh, The example Park was using earlier of if someone gets, eats something that's poisoned or spoiled, your constitution would be how well your character's immune system or body fights that off and keeps you from having to suffer from it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The next stat would be intelligence, which is another pretty self-explanatory one. Intelligence is when you, it's kind of like how, how book smart you are. intelligence is how well read you are how educated you are and that's used for things such as a history check which is when you're trying to remember something or recall something from history or for example an arcana check is a really popular intelligence check where you're trying to figure out the magical properties or something or try to discern what something really is yeah
0: no definitely Honestly, the best way I've ever heard D&D stats explained, there's been a couple of really good ways, but the most classic one I've seen is is the tomato example. Okay. So D&D stats explain using a tomato as, as the object.
1: I don't think I've heard this one.
0: Strength is being able to crush a tomato. <laughs> Dexterity is being able to dodge a tomato. Constitution is being able to eat a bad tomato. Intelligence is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put a tomato in a fruit salad. Charisma is being able to sell a tomato-based fruit salad.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's that's pretty well said. I think that puts it pretty well.
0: Yeah, um, but I like how you described intelligence as the book smarts because I've always described wisdom as the street smarts. Oh, yeah, definitely. So if you want a more street-savvy character, and again, just because you have high wisdom, you don't necessarily have to role-play your character as having... Suddenly, being very wise.
1: It could just be you're really good at knowing what to do in a certain situation.
0: Yeah, or you just a lot of your skills are under the wisdom stat. You know, you're just very perceptive and you can read people really well. Mm -hmm. So you, if you want high skills in that, then you have a higher wisdom stat. So, but yeah, so and and again, we'll we'll go over some of this in the next episode. Um, We'll be creating a character. Because that is probably the first and foremost thing a player, if they're not going to be the dungeon master, this is what the player needs to know. Because if the player can know their stat sheet
1: really well, it makes everything so much easier. It, it does. And as a first timer, I would suggest starting as a player and not DMing when you've never played before. Because it gives you a little bit of an experience of what it's like to be on the other side of the screen.
0: Yeah, if if you are starting with a whole group of all newbies and, and a newbies being the dungeon master, again, you might want to consider the kit. You know, mm-hmm. either the, the starter kit if you really want a simple or the essential kit if you want to be a little braver. But both both will give you, you know, those guidelines in a box, essentially. Yeah. And then once you learn and grow, then you can go nuts with all the supplement books, more dice, all this different stuff. And there, and there are some things, too, that the player, you know, the player's handbook and a set of dice, a character sheet, and then potentially a notepad to mm-hmm. write notes down. As the dungeon master, you'll need a little bit more, but we'll go over that in that episode.
1: Yeah. But the last one we haven't really gone in depth over is charisma, which honestly is my favorite stat. I love playing charismatic characters. Charisma is basically how good you are with people. It's your people skills. Mm -hmm. And that's used for things such as when you're trying to persuade someone or something. When you're trying to deceive someone, like lying takes some good charisma. You got to know what you're doing. Charisma is basically your social interaction skill. Yeah. Which means it's used in pretty much everything outside of combat. When you're interacting with other people, you're using charisma most of the time. Which...
0: Actually, I have a story that I don't think I've shared where I've used charisma inside of combat. Okay. So, I was playing a bard. Now, the bard class, you... Even if it's not your highest stat, it needs to be one of your higher stats. So, just an FYI on that. So, I... As a bard who's an entertainer, a poet, a musician, all that kind of stuff, right? We were in a combat situation. We got jumped by thugs on a street. Okay. My character got down to one hit point and he was surrounded and I was rolling really bad on combat, at least like trying to using my rapier and stuff like that. And I was like, what would a bard do? I was like, you know what? I'm going to play dead. So I used the performance (laughs) skill. And I rolled. I rolled a charisma roll based off my performance skill and modifier, and I rolled rolled that d twenty, and I got a twenty. I got a I what's called a natural twenty, where you roll the d d twenty and you got and the twenties on top. And for for a lot of players and groups, that is the epitome that you can get. That is the best roll you can do, regardless of modifiers. Yep. So I was like, I succeed, right? And the and the dungeon master looked at me, and this is my first one too and he says that's amazing you do so well that everybody thinks you're dead and i was like yes that's what i wanted and he leaned in closer and in a very meticulous voice said everyone thinks you're dead i was like oh i don't i don't like this persona that yeah i don't like this face and and the way and he looked at all the other players and they kind of were picking up what he was throwing down and one of them was like this is what my this is what my character would do and he's like if my character is convinced that he's dead he's gonna go all rage and he just threw a fireball right where i was at which is you literally just summon a giant ball of fire
1: he fireballed your corpse
0: yeah at least what he thought was my corpse okay because everybody thought I was dead, including my allies. So they just went, they just started unleashing all their spells and just going nuts. Because they, they didn't have to worry about hitting an ally because their
1: ally was dead. That makes sense. Which
0: consequently, say- my allies killed me and I had to make a new character. I was going to say great it's a good
1: thing you didn't have a lizard folk in your campaign who tried to eat your body. But
0: Well, what they did was afterwards that they scooped my ashes into an urn. And they carried the urn the entire rest of the adventure. <laughs> so I was that's always with them still. Yeah, one of them even used them as what's called a spellcasting focus. He literally would hold my urn and cast spells that would originate from the urn. Nice. And I, I, I didn't know how to feel about that.
1: I mean, I feel like that's dangerously close to a phylactery at that point.
0: <laughs> but anyway, I, I I thought that would illustrate both the d20 and the charisma a little bit because you you can get creative that's the whole point of this is that you know at, at me personally as a dungeon master I want my players to be creative and I want to reward that creativity now if it's going to like if it's going to shatter you know what I feel like should be possible in the scenario or they're shattering the rules or completely going around them and stuff like that I might I might put up some in game restriction explanation as to why they can't do that but for the most part i want to reward them because it makes it more fun for everybody so if you find a way to be able to carry five 50, pieces of gold out of a cave <laughs> then you can although i might have a magical barrier that only lets you carry half of it out because the person that's hoarding that gold isn't going to let it go that easy you know Yeah,
1: it's okay though because my character may or may not have left a mark on there to identify it later, so we can go do some digging. It is what it is.
0: Yeah, players are gonna player characters are gonna do what they do, so (laughs) there's not a whole lot I can do about that. But speaking of uh, combat, I think um, I do. I think we should go over combat.
1: Okay. That is something that can get pretty complex, so it's that can be goes yeah, from. and
0: that can be an intimidating factor in first playing Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. So, but
1: we'll I do our best to the, explain this. The biggest aspect of combat is, please, for the love of all that is good in the world, learn your character before you play, because there's nothing worse than playing when no one knows their character, and one round of combat takes like an hour.
0: Yes, to build on that. I I once had a group where somebody was playing a very unique class that they didn't know anything about. Please and somebody it wasn't the Bloodhunter. It was the blood hunter class, oh my gosh. which is which isn't an official class, but it's used in Critical Role.
1: I, I have respect for people who play it, but I have never liked the blood hunter class because it's 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 very convoluted for my eyes. It, it takes a it's. It is different. Like, you know how you said it's like learning a new language to learn D and D. Blood Hunter is its own like dialect of that language.
0: Yeah, it's it's like having said like you may speak English, but that doesn't mean you automatically understand a Cajun accent. Oh yeah, like
1: you take your your basic English to down or to the bayou, and you're not going to know what's going on. Or like a
0: thick Boston accent. Yeah,
1: like yeah, it's
0: or like going to Scotland. Mm-hmm. Y- y- you know, there's just there's a certain places that have more unique accents, but. So she was playing the Bloodhunter class, and I repeatedly told her, I was like, if you want to get the most out of your character as a player, you have to sit down and read what this class can do for your character, what you are naturally inclined to do, what you can do, all this different stuff. You you should read, and not just for the class, but also um, for the race and, and the background as well. But mostly the class and what's also called the subclass, but that's under the class. But so as long as you're reading the class and understanding that, then you're way ahead. Mm-hmm. And it makes the game a lot smoother. It makes the game a lot more fun because the game, the session can take a pit when, as a dungeon master, I have to try to explain to them what they can and can't do, and that starts to lead into what may be called metagaming. Mm-hmm. Where the player's knowledge starts to influence what their character does, even though their character doesn't have that knowledge. They're they're two separate entities almost. You're control yeah, you're controlling this character and you're influencing this character. But especially after a few sessions, they start to take on a life of their own and they based on their experiences, they might make different decisions than you would. Yeah. You know, I normally don't just kill Drow on site, but I had a character that did because of his experiences but you know it, it may not have made psychological sense completely or whatever but for for role playing purposes and improv purposes it did and so that's that's the biggest advice that we can give that we'll probably reiterate next episode because it's mm-hmm. so important to learn that
1: read your character
0: sheet yes read read understanding your character sheet and also understanding particularly the class of character Kind of what we mentioned, like clerics, rangers, paladins, fighters, bards, sorcerers, wizards, artificers. There's all that, so yeah. many. There are there are quite a few, um, and that that is where a lot of these stats and abilities come from. Is that class? Yeah. Now and your character may not go around saying, "Oh, I'm a paladin," or "I'm an artificer," but you'll be like, "Oh, I'm I'm a knight that serves a holy deity. That's a paladin," or "I tinker with things." and and imbue and imbue items with magic that's an artificer mm-hmm. or I've studied the arcane and I've been able to do spells that's a wizard you don't have to like announce what class you are in game per se but yeah but yeah but let's let's go into the actual combat so once you've reviewed your character sheet and reviewed your class you know especially early on and it, I would say it might not be a bad habit to do to review your class every time you level up yeah, when you level up, you get new abilities and new options. And when you get to high levels, it can be a little overwhelming, even for veteran players. There's a lot you can do. But if you just simply review, then that that can help.
1: It's like people often joke that fighters are the basic class. But if you ever looked at a level 20 battlemaster fighter, they have so many maneuvers, they could put a wizard to shame. Oh, yeah, it, it gets crazy. But once you have your characters down, most combat starts with something that's called initiative. And that is where you have... It's basically who goes in what order and what the turns are. Initiative is usually determined by everyone rolling for their initiative bonus, which is usually based off your dexterity Mm. with some other modifiers. And then the higher rolls go first, and that kind of just determines how combat flows. Yeah, And usually the DM will facilitate whoever the adversaries of the encounter are. Whether it's enemies, whether it's like the lair has something that happens that you're fighting in. The DM controls everything outside of the players. Yeah. So as a player, you're responsible for your character's actions on their turn. And then everyone is in charge of their own character and the DM determines the rest.
0: Yeah. So the first thing... so. Oftentimes, the most classic example is pretty much when you get into a combat scenario, the dungeon master will usually say roll for initiative. That's the most common phrase to be like, "Okay, look, because it's not only telling them what to do, but it's also like, okay, now we're entering the turn based combat system in D&D, which a lot lot of video games do, too. Some do that, too. So
1: a lot of the times roll for initiative is code for you screwed up with your role playing. (laughs) Yeah, or you got
0: ambushed or whatever. So you roll, and as Brandon was saying, the biggest factor in if you're going to be going first, if you want to increase your chances of going first every time combat happens, or you want to be one of the first, having a high dex stat or a dexterity stat will help with that. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's features and stuff that you can gain as you level up, or you can add plus 10 to your initiative. So some people just really like to go first, which yeah. there's benefits to that. But you yeah, know, for example,
1: if you're like a gloom ranger and you get that extra attack off, or if you're oh, an yeah. assassin rogue and you get your sneak attack, there's some people that really benefit from it. And there are other classes where they couldn't care less which order they're in.
0: My wife always takes the alert feet when she <laughs> levels up to the appropriate level. So, but yeah, so everybody takes a turn. And then the biggest thing is that, and this is for the villains too, or whoever you're fighting. So, you will have. So, when it's your turn, you will have three options, I believe.
1: Yeah, basically, each character on their turn, they have movement, an action, a bonus action, and a reaction.
0: Yeah, sorry, four.
1: So, movement is pretty self explanatory. It's how far your character can move per turn. And one turn in 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons represents six seconds of combat. So, everything that happens in a whole round. Will have happened within six seconds. So you could have a combat session that goes for an hour and a half, but in story wise in the game, that could have been a two minute fight. Yeah. And it just happened to drag on because there's so much going on between everyone interacting there. Yeah. So movement is how far you can move. Most characters have a base movement speed of around 30 feet is the average.
0: Yeah, 30 feet is kind of the default. And depending on, so like if you're like a halfling or for you know another term is hobbit but in yeah. D it's halfling if you're a halfling or like a gnome or a shorter race use or a dwarf it's usually 25 feet so yeah. it's not a huge difference some races have 35 but again it's that base of 30 so and usually mo whether you're online or in person usually the dungeon master will set up a map some kind of terrain or something if they're really fancy um I personally just use a whiteboard. I keep it pretty simple and I just kind of draw it out. I've seen a
1: lot of different methods. Some people, like you said, I I like using whiteboards, drawing it out. I've even done a piece of paper with a pencil marking people. I've seen people using electronic screens, which is kind of fun. Or sometimes if it's a smaller encounter, I'll just use theater of the mind where you just kind of imagine where everything is. Yeah.
0: So, and usually those, those maps, and I recommend this if you're new or if a lot of the group is new, we'll have squares and in in D and d, the default for those squares is five feet of space. so it's like a five by five space yeah, and you can move different squares, you move diagonal you can do whatever as long as they're touch you know as long as you're going so but yeah, you have the movement speed. you have an action. Um, usually most people when they're in combat, they attack. For their action.
1: Action's like your bread and butter of your turn. It's what it's what you do with your turn. You yeah. can move around all you want, but what you're actually going to do and make a difference with is usually your action. That's like swinging your great axe, shooting your bow, casting your spell, dashing behind a tree to hide. There's a lot of things you can do with your action. Or just
0: hide. Yeah. yeah. Just hide. hide it. You know, for a lot of players, that's their action. Um, Use your action or, to take to a swig of alcohol. <laughs> or if your character wants to try to t- like stop the fight and try to talk to the villain or combatant or whatever, they can use their turn to talk. You yeah. know. they can do that because um, again, most people there's kind of this unspoken six second rule roughly, and so you got to do things quick. So if you're gonna say a sentence, that's your turn almost, or that's your that's your action. Yeah, and then there's what's called a bonus action. Um, you can't, depending on the character you have, you can't. Always do a bonus action every single turn.
1: Some classes definitely utilize the bonus action a lot more than others.
0: Mm -hmm. It's bonus action, what I like to think of it is that because your characters are skilled in particular skills, so like a ranger is really good at long range, you know, having ranged weaponry. So, like, for instance, like a fighter, they're really good with with melee and, and getting right up in people's grills. They can use. You know they might have an action where they swing their great sword, but they may have an ability or something that says that they can use their bonus action to swing
1: a little dagger in the off- in the offhand or something. Yeah.
0: It just depends. Or
1: for example, a ranger their action is shooting an arrow at someone but they could use their bonus action to imbue this arrow with some sort of magical effect.
0: That's a great example. I, I like that one a lot better. Because <laughs> the ranger definitely utilizes that because a lot of ranger spells have a cast time. And again, cast... Casting spells, we'll go over in the next episode because mm-hmm. that that's, it gets complicated. That can get complicated pretty quick.
1: So, the final aspect of a turn is a reaction, which is usually something that you do when it's not your turn. For example, one really common reaction is attacks of opportunity. If an enemy runs past you, a lot of the times you get to take a free shot at them as they run past, just quick little jab as they're going by.
0: Yeah. That's probably the most common thing. And again, it depends on how you build your character, the class, and the skills you take.
1: Like, for example, spellcasters, a lot of them have access to a spell called shield, which you can use as a reaction. Which is basically, if someone's coming at you, you can just throw up a quick magical shield to help you block it. And that's used as a reaction as well.
0: Yeah. And you can only use a reaction...
1: Once per round.
0: Once per round. And when we say a round, that means... a round is when everybody has a chance to take a turn and it starts back at the beginning.
1: So for example, a whole horde of enemy rushes past you, you're not going to get to take a free pot shot at every single one of them.
0: Yeah. No, you only get one because again, things are happening in in story-wise. They're happening really quick here. Mm -hmm. But yeah, those are the big things in combat. Um, Again, the best way to understand is just simply to read up on your character the best you can. Again, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to, but if you can just just simply reading it, just getting it kind of, at least having a vague notion of what you can do, even that alone can can help you a lot. And as always, when it comes to Dungeons & Dragons, if you're confused about something, more often than not, the Dungeon Master's got some experience under their belt, ask him. Because ultimately, Dungeons & Dragons have all these rules, but ultimately, the Dungeon Master, if they feel like, this would be a more fun option for this particular group and for this adventure and the story. They'll bend the rules or they'll even take some stuff out or they, they may allow you to have a free, you know, they, they may give you a second reaction for whatever reason. They can do whatever they want, but so it's right. always for the betterment of the group. At least it should be.
1: Yeah, that's always the most important part is making sure that everyone's having fun and that's why I, whenever I DM, I like to play a little more flexible and play with a little bit of what we call rule of cool, where if someone tries to do something that's really cool and isn't necessarily game-breaking, I'll throw them a bone sometimes and let them try it. Yeah. And it leads for a lot of really fun interactions. Um, I don't know. Do you have any instances of some cool adventures you've played where you rule of cooled something?
0: Um, honestly... this campaign that we're doing together you guys all bought a donkey and as soon as i said it was a male you you all named it after the dungeon master and i I was like
1: definitely not saying anything that we named a donkey after our dm but
0: my wife thought it was hilarious (laughs) wasn't she the
1: one that suggested it
0: no that was uh that was angela oh okay yeah so yeah, I mean, you know, your players are going to, again, the inside jokes, it's, with a little bit of luck, you can find a really good group of friends with this. Oh, yeah. So, but hopefully this gets people things to think about when they're going in. As I said, we'll get a bit more into character creation. We'll go over the stats again. Um, there will be an episode just for the dungeon master, you know, for people that are even thinking about it. But even if you are if you don't want to be a dungeon master, it's still nice to know some aspects because oh, yeah. they, they have a lot it it's it's it, it's a lot of work. I I wouldn't say it's a part-time job per se, <laughs> but it's it, it could be that way if they really throw themselves and
1: I've seen people who actually do DM as a job. I need to find how to
0: do that. <laughs> So. See,
1: that's one where you got to get those Matt Mercer level talents going. The voice acting and everything. So ah, people are paying mind. you.
0: Yeah, that's not going to happen. So,
1: But I think that's about it for the basics of d and I felt like we covered everything pretty in depth. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys have anything else that you want to see covered or anything that you think we missed, feel free to reach out to us on social media. Our email we mentioned, that's nat1nerdspodcasts at gmail.com or nat one Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. Yep. Um, We love hearing from you guys. Hopefully you guys learned something helpful from this session. Um, You got anything else for him, Parker?
0: Honestly, if I kind of want to know, I want to know what you guys learned, um, either from listening to us or or if you did anything on your own, what you've learned by just reading the manuals on your own um, that you think people should know about. uh, Definitely let us know and we'll... You know, if if you if you reach out to us, there's always a chance that we may shut you out in the podcast and actually talk about it a little bit. But let us let us know your thoughts for sure. We definitely love hearing from you guys, and let us know if you have any specific questions. If you think there's something we missed, if there's something you want to see when we're doing character creation. Um, for those that are a little more familiar, maybe you guys can suggest a good class to build a character based off of.
1: Maybe we'll even do a poll on our social media asking what kind of characters people Ooh, want us to build. I like
0: that. I like that. Let's do that. So I think
1: it'd be fun if we each picked one. Yeah. But that'll be our next session is character creation and what you need as a player specifically mm-hmm. um, in Dungeons and Dragons. And there's a lot that goes into character creation. So join us next time on Nat1Nerds for character creation and playing D&D. Yeah. Thanks so. again, guys. This is Nat1Nerds signing off. Happy rolling.